please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. You're looking at verses 5 through 16. And uh, it's really kind of amazing here. I got uh, two more messages and we will finish up chapter 7. It's kind of astonishing. Chapter 7, verses 5 through 16. Please read with me the word of God and then we will pray that he will teach us, beginning in verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he had comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. I now rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you, what vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong, And everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. So, although I wrote you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor the sake of the one offended. But that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoice even more for the joy of Titus. Because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, it was not to put to shame, but he spoke all things to you in truth. So also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. His affections abound all the more toward you as he remembers the obedience of you all and how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. Father, each of us in this room have dealt with, and maybe even dealing now, with broken relationships. And yet, Father, this word here, in the power of your Spirit, shows the amazing God restoring broken relationships. Father, as you took care of Paul and Titus, healed the Corinthian church, and drew the unity back together, Father, may we understand that it is your will And that, Father, that even in confrontation, your will brings repentance and an increase in love. How awesome. Father, help us to hear this. Help us to rejoice in this. And, Father, help us to bow before this to your glory and praise. Amen. We're looking at at this section, verses 5 through 16. The Apostle Paul had sent a letter. He called the severe letter to the Corinthians. Uh, The Corinthians had bought into some of the allegations against the character of Paul. And false teachers would get a hold of that. And they could say, well, you can't trust this man because of his integrity or his character. So how can you trust what he's teaching you? And therefore, they could come into a church Even though it was founded by the Apostle Paul, all they did was sow a seed of doubt and they followed it. He had made a surprise visit to the Corinthians and some of the false had accused him erroneously and no one in the church defended him. Okay, so he left broken. I mean, I I can't I cannot imagine it. I have had people in my ministry who have come against me. But I've never had the church come against me. All right? And and 
but I, you know, the, the individuals, but he was basically getting a congregation that he founded. He was the one who brought the gospel to that community and they had turned against him. All right. And he tr- was trying to understand how is it that I can spend 18 months with you every day, house to house, and someone can come in with just an innuendo and you guys all take off on it. Okay, now then, anybody here had that problem with co-workers, loved ones, relatives? It's not a new phenomenon. I mean, you know, this happened to be the only church that I've ever been a part of. Okay, so I, I can't run around and say, you know, I've attended some other churches, but I can't say that, you know, I know how all the church dynamics is. But I have learned this, the thing about the Baptist denomination they multiply the church by division okay i don't care what anybody says i have watched it i bear witness to it and it's a proven fact i know i can i can count seven congregations that were formed out of this church okay by the way they were not done godly all right and so when i read this i I, we spent years in first corinthians remember some of you what a bunch of morons. I mean, you just go through a cursory reading of 1 Corinthians like, these guys are idiots. Okay? And yet Paul says, you are lacking in no gifts. Paul had seen what God did. And yet, they were corrupt. But, I know no one in this congregation or anyone that you know ever, has ever dealt with pride. Their pride had gotten in the way and had allowed the perversion of everything. All right. So he had sent them first Corinthians, the letter, you know, as first Corinthians. There was another letter between first and second Corinthians. It's called the severe letter. Okay. We don't have that one, but I'll bet it was a dandy. All right. And he had given it to Titus because he was still in Ephesus. He'd given it to Titus to take it back to him. And it was to confront him. Okay, now I would read first, I mean, you read the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians and say, why do they need to be confronted? (laughs) I mean, just read that. You know, you you just read it and you go, oh, gee, how would you like to have been the guy who says, I have a letter from our founder, the Apostle Paul, let me read it to you. And listen to everybody going, "Uh oh, (laughs) daddy's mad. (laughs) Okay, it's one of those, don't make me come down there. So anyway, you, you do this and then, you know, then you have to take great joy because I think one of the things that is overlooked, if you spend just cursory time in the Corinthian letters, you think, man, what a bunch of knuckleheads. But if you read this between verses five and, and the end of chapter seven, you see that in that confrontation, God did a mighty work. Okay. Now, I don't know anybody who likes confrontation. Okay. And I'm, I'm talking about being the one to confront it. Uh, I know as a pastor, a lot of people will have something go on and they come to me because I should go confront this. <laughs> and I have to explain to them, no. <laughs> God showed it to you. Knock yourself out. <laughs> it's obvious he thinks you're up for the task. All right. Uh, I don't like confrontation. Okay. Um, but... There are times when you have to confront. Okay, uh, those of you who have been with me for a long time know several times when I have wandered with another elder to obtain individuals who had messed up their wedding vows in the proverbial high. Okay, and if you see me and an elder at your front door... Uh, You'd better have a big wheelbarrow full of brats or get race down. Okay? Uh, because that, that's the way I do. I, I remember there used to be a bar in town. Uh, and uh, I had to go in there and get a young lady who uh, was wandering from her husband. And her husband called me crying. And I said, well, I'll find her. And sure enough, I did. And I walked into the bar. And sure enough, it's amazing that, you know, how many drinks a woman can get with never spending a dime? But anyway, um, 
you, you, you said and you watched. And so I tapped her on the shoulder and she turned around and turned to this opaque white. And I was, always thought, wow, that's kind of cool. <laughs> Look at that. Okay, and I explained to her that I had come to take her home. And, of course, the boys buying the drinks were a little mad. And she explained to them that this is my pastor. And it was like, well, we're not going to be mad no more. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. I don't know what that means, but it's obvious that they didn't want to cross that bridge. I didn't either. But there's times you have to confront things. Okay? When you confront things, there's two responses always. The one who is confronted is either going to be angry and defensive. Okay? Or they're going to be like this. They're going to realize what they did was wrong. Okay? And, 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 and it happens in an odd way. If you go through this and you see it, I, I, I laid it out. He says his heart was so broken that in Macedonia, they had left Ephesus. Of course, that was a riot, had gone into Macedonia, had gone to Troas and then on into Macedonia. Our flesh found no rest. Okay. And he says, um, we were afflicted on every side, pressured on every side. We were hurt on every side. We had conflicts without the people around us, but we also had the fears within. It, it seemed like it was getting worse instead of better. Okay. But he said, you know, but God comforts the depressed. He said, those people who are in that anxiety and that heartbreak and that massive grief, he says, that's where God comforts. Okay. And he can come into these places like no other. And he comforted us first by the coming of Titus. Okay. You send a guy to this community who's all of a sudden turned against you with a letter that says you've turned against me and probably a few other choice words. And you wonder how he's going to be received. But all of a sudden you see him arrive. He was supposed to be at Troas, but he didn't come. So you're like, uh-oh. And so you go on into Macedonia. Um, that's where the church in Thessalonica, the Bereans and the Philippians are. All right. And so he's got mixed responses in Macedonia. All right, but he runs into Titus, and then he is very encouraged, not only by the appearance of Titus, but also comforted with the comfort with which he comforted in you. Because they had received him appropriately. They did not try to defend themselves. They did not become antagonistic. They understood that this severe letter from the Apostle Paul was right. It had truth it had truth that brought joy because i don't know about you and a lot of the confrontations i get i don't get a lot of joy out of it they tend to be defensive um they tend to be antagonistic and that i am completely wrong and doing whatever it is i'm doing and so on and so forth i remember a man who left his wife we had confronted him had everybody in the church send him a letter. Kids, youth, everybody sent him a letter and asked him about the love of Christ. He went ahead and moved back to a, an old sweetheart in, uh, I want to say, West Virginia and joined the church. Got involved in the church. Had left his wife. I found the church. I sent the pastor a letter. Okay? Okay, after that point in time, I'm done. I remember there was one young lady that I did the same thing with, and I received a letter from her uh, <laughs> lawyer. I said, uh, leave my client alone, or I will put a restraining order on you. <laughs> I've arrived. He started getting letters from lawyers. So at that point, I can wash my hands of it. I'm done. All right? But that's the normal response. It, Ask yourself a question. If you've had children, you confront your child for doing something wrong. What is their response? I didn't do it. Don't blame me. You don't understand. Right? That's, that's how they respond. And yet you're not. I think I'm just going to go and 
make my children mad. I want to discipline my children every day because it's fun. And yet that's what people think. He's just picking on me. Okay? The joy is there when you see the godly response that comes back, which is verses 8 through 10, change. He wrote a letter. He didn't write it because he thinks, you know what? I see how much sorrow I can heap on these people. And he regretted it. There's multiple reasons to regret it. One, that you've got to do it. Okay? And you don't want to hurt people. I, You know, I... I, some people seem to think that that's what, you know, that's what spiritual leadership is about, is hurting people. You know what? I've watched the Holy Spirit. He does fine. He does fine. It's like there for a long time, when I first started attending church been years ago, the big thing was counseling. Everybody's in counseling. Okay, and I mean, you know, if you were getting ready to get married, you went into counseling. If you were already married, you were overdue for counseling. Okay, and so it was counsel this and counsel that. And it was funny because as soon as I took the pulpit, everybody thought, you're up. It's counseling. And it was funny because there was a long stretch of time there where I had people coming in all the time wanting to tell me how rotten the other person was. And it dawned on me, they're looking for an excuse. It didn't take me long. Most people, when they start off a conversation, when can a Christian get a divorce? All right. And they said, well, I said, well, you need to see what the Bible says. And he said, well, what should I read? Hosea. And if you've never read Hosea, you don't get that joke. If you've read Hosea, you're like, well, that ought to fix somebody who's thinking about getting a divorce. <laughs> okay. And that, then it was very shortly, my counseling business dried up. <laughs> Well, it did. It did. Uh, it's, it was obvious that. I, oh well, you know. But I was given truth. When you do that, then the Holy Spirit causes the change. You regret having to bring that to their attention, and yet you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. See, some people, that sorrow comes in. If it's a worldly sorrow, it leads to death. Why? Because they just get mad. Okay? And he says, you know what? You can forsake blessings. You know, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm just saying, you know what? You will be absolutely useless. Okay? Not only that, you will be a tormented soul. Okay? You're going to be miserable. Going to be miserable. I have watched God, and I use this illustration... uh, I use it a lot with my kids, is that he can shrink a dollar or he can stretch a dollar. And I said, and if you're chasing after money, it'll always be too small. If you're chasing after Christ, you'll always have an abundance. Now, it may not be the Mercedes you want, but you'll be taken care of. I try to get people to understand that. But there will be a change, but it also, that will produce Holiness. And holiness is there in verse 11. Behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. And then you see that they wanted to vindicate themselves. They don't want to be known for the ones who turned on the Apostle Paul. They did it with indignation. It made them mad. It, you know what? Does it make you mad when somebody deceives you? If somebody deceives you spiritually, that should really tick you off. Okay? Did that to the Corinthians. What fear? They understood the reverence. If God sent the messenger and you treated him the way that they had treated Paul, you should be in fear of the one who sent the messenger. All right? If you have a person in your life sent to you by God, let me give you just a tad bit of advice. You better listen. You better listen. Then there was a longing. That longing is, I want this relationship restored. I want to be back in the oneness that the body of Christ truly is. 
You don't. I watch people today who are trying to make oneness in the church. You can't because you'll always do it the same way that everybody's ever done it throughout life. Compromise. And you'll do it in the name of love. Really? Has that ever worked? You can't do it. The oneness is already there. The Holy Spirit is not divided. The oneness is there. Are you submitted to the Holy Spirit? What does God say? Is there zeal? Is there a passion for this? And the avenging of wrong. You know what? If you do something wrong, you want to correct it. Even if you're the one at fault. Correct it. And you want to avenge it. I want it fixed. Regardless of whatever the consequences are. That will bring in growth. Growth is verse 12. I wrote to you not for the sake of the offender or not for the sake of the one offended, but your earnestness on our behalf made known to you in the sight of God. There was already a zeal that had existed for the Apostle Paul. It had been destroyed because of the accusations and the people deciding to follow the false accusers. Okay, And yet they had always had an, an earnestness for Paul, an eagerness for Paul. How do you get a church in Corinth if you don't? He says, I want you to see that. That's where the change comes, that he would be reminded to you where you started and where you are now. And it would be manifested and the person of God would see it also so that everybody would know that you can't be pushed around concerning the Apostle Paul. All that comes to oneness. Verse 13. For that reason, we've been comforted. Besides our comfort, we rejoice even much more. And the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. You ever thought about that? Titus was refreshed by these people. Go read First Corinthians. You're going, these guys couldn't refresh a cup of water. And yet, their change in the power of God in the confrontation of Paul brought comfort and joy and great rejoicing. That's amazing. Which brings me to my point today. Verses 14 and 15. The saints' obedience. Now, I need to deal with this. I'm going to try to do it as gently as I can. Remember, I've been out of town for a couple of weeks, so I doubt if I'll be able to. If repentance is real, those who are at odds would want to follow him again. In this case, the Apostle Paul. Okay, usually people will tell you they have repented. I just ain't going to go there ever again. Right. I mean, we got 54, 55 fundamentalist evangelical churches in Castle Rock. I can go to a different church every Sunday for over a year. Okay, so I don't ever have to be confronted about nothing and nobody will even know. Let me give you two verses that you should pay attention to. Some of you remember when I taught through the letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews 13, I've been quoting verse 17. I will quote it again, but I want you to think about it because in Hebrews 13, verse 7 is an amazing verse that very few people ever pay attention to, especially if you belong to a church. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Does this happen a lot in church? Usually the people in the pews think their faith is greater than the preacher because all he does is get them talk for an hour. How many people in churches today would look at their pastors or elders as an asset, divine gift from God given to them personally by he who holds existence together. 
How many, how many people look at that? How many people would look at a preacher and say, that is a gift from God to me. And I appreciate it. How many would do that? How many would do that? I think about the people that I have been under their teaching and I always look at them as a tremendous asset. I am truly blessed to have known. Truly blessed. Just spend time. I mean, uh, some of you guys remember Al Jerome. It's Al Jerome who set me down and said, listen, we're going to walk together. Because I had a void in my life on discipleship and Al took me and said, we're going together. Now, he's the one that said I should be a pastor and I still hate him, but that's a different thing. Okay. There are those people that are in your life and you know what? Most of the time we take them for granted. Or, you know, we'll just get another one. And you know what? I will give you this. If you want a preacher, you can get one. And you can heap them to yourself. And there's a bunch of them out there that tell you anything you need to hear. And they have great counseling businesses. No, I'm sorry. I had to say that. <laughs> I don't have one. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you and consider the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. They taught you the word of God. What does their life look like? Okay. If it works, what does it say? Imitate it. Imitate it. But then there's verse 17. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. They say that pastors are three to five years. And it's, it doesn't matter, non-denominational, congregational, I don't care what, it, it goes across. And, and, I, and I, there's several reasons for that. I, I think a lot of pastors shouldn't be. Okay. Um, the other side of that is um, a lot of pastors are hired to grow the church. Okay, they've got a website that is it lists churches all over North America and what they're requiring for their pastor to come in. And they're, they're looking for pastors. And so they have this website. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, I looked at it one time and got such a chuckle out of it. And then it dawned on me how serious this was. And it, I thought, this is horrible. Okay. Because I went through, I don't know, several pages, computer pages. Not one of them asked them what they thought about the Word of God. It was more uh, like if you're going to hire a CEO or a CFO or something to that effect. And I'm sitting there going... Why aren't you asking? And then you have pastors who are looking for churches. And that was even more depressing. Okay. And I thought that this is like monster.com or whatever you can go find a job on. And that's exactly the same thing. And I thought, you really want to hire a pastor that you found off of the Internet. And he can because uh, they, they tell me that they have what do they call them? Their candy stick sermons. You know what a candy stick sermon is? It's a sermon that you're good at. Okay. And so when you're looking for a job, you go get your candy stick sermon. And you send that to them and they go, I believe it's Moses. Okay. My problem is I haven't preached a good one yet. (laughs) So I can't send them a candy stick sermon. And and I, I share that because... That's what we do. And I sit there and I said, no, give me your next sermon. I want the one you're going to preach next Sunday. Let me hear that one. That's the one that's still on the oven. That's, you know, still kind of going through the guy's head and heart. Okay, what is that going to sound like? That's the one I want to hear. I don't want to hear this is my best sermon. Okay. My thing is, I'd never preach the same sermons twice, so I don't have a best sermon. Do we submit to those because they have to give an account for your souls? Now, that part of that text bothers me. 
but it's still truth. I mean, you know, I'm one of these that God is sovereign. Why do I have to give an account? <laughs> That's your sheep. <laughs> but anyway, we submit and we obey. Why? Because if they're doing it in grief, how much profit is that going to be? I've seen a bumper sticker that says, if you don't like your pastor, pray for him. Maybe God will make him better. And I thought, really? Really? Verses, back to our text, verses 14 and 15. Look what it says here. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you. Now you think about that a second. The Philippians, okay. The Bereans, okay. Thessalonians, all right, I'm in. Even the church in Jerusalem, uh uh-huh, yeah, right on. The Corinthians, he boasted about the Corinthians to Titus. Well, if you can boast about him, why am I sending him in this nasty letter? I boasted to him about you, and I was not put to shame. Why? Their obedience was there, and Paul knew it. Paul boasted that the church in Corinth was obedient. Now, wait a minute. This is the same ones who had corrupted spiritual gifts. It's the same ones that had mass chaos in their worship service. Everybody said they were speaking for God and would get up and speak at any given time. There was no organization and no rational reasoning to it. Lost people would come in and think that the whole group was crazy. They would get drunk at the Lord's table. They would have potlucks and the rich people didn't have to work during the day. They would get there and eat all the good food and the people who had to work all day would come in and get the crumbs. And they're obedient? To what? Paul had told Titus that there are saved people there. There was a spiritual level of understanding there. Paul had a love for these saints. He believed them. He trusted them. He knew he Paul knew that they were servants of God. Now grab a hold of this for a second, because you and I like to shoot our wounded. If I got a Christian who has stumbled, I'm going to put him out of my misery. Right? Paul said, these guys have stumbled. I will confront them. I will exhort them. I will carry on the grace of Jesus Christ, the love and mercy of my Lord and my Savior, and I will draw them back. Even though the Apostle Paul was hurting, they had hurt him. Paul understood the Corinthians well enough that he knew they would respond and they would respond positive. Why in the world would Paul believe that? Simple. So one of the things that is fascinating to me about the church model in America today, because this is America. Paul knew these people. Listen, I want you to understand something. I'm not saying that he knew that that guy's name is this or this guy's name. No, man, he spent 18 months day in and day out in their homes, businesses. He knew these people. I cannot understand why churches will get a complete stranger to act like I want you to take care of my soul. We go get a doctor. Don't we ask him some questions like, you know, have you ever done this before? Just an idea. Have you ever thought of asking a pastor that? Have you ever done this before? Have you ever read your Bible? Where do you come up with sermons? He saw their conversion. 
He knew God was working in them. He saw where they had come from and he had saw how they changed. He knew that it wasn't a man-made morphosis. He understood that God was working among these people so he could put his confidence in him. When you run into Christians that you see in the two high holy days, Christmas and Easter, you can't put a lot of confidence on their conversion. Then you have those people that come regularly, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesdays. You can put more confidence in those people because you watch them still hungering and thirsting for righteousness and still growing. And then from outside of that, you see how it works. Paul knew that they had had perseverance. Paul knew and had saw their sanctification. Paul knew when he spoke to Titus to boast of these people. I know these people and I believe that they will respond because they are God's people. His boasting wasn't put to shame. You know what? I read this and I think about him. He's writing a severe letter. He's giving it to Titus. He's already sent a letter over called 1 Corinthians, which is a dandy. And he tells Titus that they will respond positively. Because I know these people. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like Paul's putting his neck out there. Have you ever had somebody come and say, would you recommend me for a job? Man, that just makes me start. I break out in a sweat. Okay, because that's got butt ugly everywhere, man. I mean, you know, well, you you sent me the laziest man on the planet. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I trained him. (laughs) But but you see, that's the kind of stuff that you just like. Well, can you write me a recommendation? Uh, Do I have to? Okay. And here's the Apostle Paul telling Titus, these people are going to respond well, Paul, if these people are so gracious and pure as the driven snow, why are we even dealing with this? He put his neck out there because he had put confidence. Now, here's the difference. He had put confidence in the work of God's grace in these people's lives. He had seen it. He had seen it. I have seen the change. I watched him move from worldliness to holiness. I saw it. You can't manufacture that as a natural man. It can only be done by the providence of God. He believed they were real. He saw what God had done. And you know what? Everyone in this room has seen those quote unquote Christians. You know, fell on bad times and all of a sudden loved Jesus. Until they get their bad times fixed. And it's like, poof, they vanish. I know guys right now. You know, I work on motorcycles. They come to me and they say, well, you got any single women in your church? And I said, what? Well, you know, I've been running around living hard and everything. I think it's time for me to settle down and find me a good Christian woman. (laughs) Really? I always say, yeah, but they're all 90. (laughs) I can give you their address. (laughs) That is so crazy. That is so crazy. I can't say that I've ever run into a woman who says he's looking for a Christian man, though. But um, <laughs> we've all seen those. Okay? We have seen far more of them who uh, make a deal with God. To, Can you kind of get me out of this mess? And, and I love you, Jesus. Okay? And it's, sometimes they're very enthusiastic. And then as the cares of this world come, they're gone. Okay, it's like I tell people, I said, you know what? You can miss one Sunday and it's no big deal. God's not going to strike you dead. I said, but when you miss the second one, know that the third one is a piece of cake. And if you miss the third one, it'd be six months. And you know what? It's never failed me. I've watched it over and over again. He believed they were real. And we've all seen those who Take the name for no apparent reason. We can, as the Apostle Paul could, 
see the reality of the transformed life. Okay, listen, I am not talking, okay, about someone who's moral. Okay, we got morality everywhere. That does not make you a Christian. Okay, you don't believe me? Here's your homework assignment. I'm getting ready to thin out this church. I have one more message in this text. Okay, then I'm going to move into chapters 8 and 9. Okay, I wonder how many people will stay for the whole entire teaching of those two chapters. You guys know how fast I am. Okay, because I know what the theme of those two chapters are. I knew them months ago and I was thinking just go to 10. Okay. It's the one chapter series you will never find a book written in a Christian bookstore on those two chapters. You know what it is? It's Christian's favorite topic. Giving. I just swear, we all just get excited. Oh God, we're going to spend months on giving. They do. They just get thrilled. They just start. You can't contain Christians when you say, we're going to spend the next six months dealing with giving and how blessed you are to just the privilege of giving. And everybody's like, I'm on vacation for at least a year. (laughs) He said there's 54 churches. (laughs) We can be in church. They will come back. Why? But you can see that. You deal with money among Christians. You see what the response is. It's a piece of cake. Why? It is extraordinarily precious to us. And God said, I made it for my advantage. And everybody says, yes, that's true. Amen. As long as it ain't mine, you need. And that's what we do. There's a difference there. You know what? I, I was talking. We have a dear friend, and some of you had done business with him, Ronnie, financial planner. He's always planning. And, you know, he's helped me do a lot of things. But he asked me, he says, now, I need to see what your goal is as you get over 60 and you start moving through. And I was like, I want zero sum gain. And he said, what? I said, I came in with zero. I want to step out with zero. Well, what about your kids? They can get their own. And everybody looks at me like, are you nuts? No. No. Go out with nothing. Why? What did you come in with? Was it so precious to you at your birth? Go out the same way. See, that is that a world's view? We can, as Paul, see the reality of a transformed life. And you know what? It's kind of amazing. The Apostle Paul put his reputation on it. Think about it. you got false accusers. Is he really telling you truth? We think he has ulterior motives. Is he really telling you the truth? Okay. Because one of the ways you can find out if this guy's really got truth is, does he have any discernment? You know, I listen to some of these pastors and the people they quote tell me they have no discernment. You know what? I do not have to drink gallons of the ocean to find out that it's salty. One taste got her down. Right? That's the same thing when I see all of these books that get published and everybody keeps saying, this is amazing, this is amazing, you need to read it, you need to read it, you need to read it. This is amazing and it's selling gazillions of copies and gazillions of copies. It's a really awesome, man, you ought to go read it. And I read through until it contradicts scripture and I close the book. Why? It don't work. False doctrine is close. False doctrine doesn't wake up and say, I would like to lead you astray into the doctrine of demons. Would you read? They don't do that. They quote truth. They misinterpret. Titus, Paul had, in his discernment, had told Titus it would be a good response, and they didn't put him to shame. 
This is important. Okay? Listen, Paul's sole focus was what? Truth. What does the Word of God say? Secret services, the ones who, their basic job is to keep track of our money. They watch out for counterfeits. Okay? But they don't study counterfeit. They study the real. Okay? They know detail on real money that you and I have never even thought of. And the reason is that when an erroneous bill shows up, they spot it just like that because they know the depth and detail of true. One of the things that I've watched the evangelical community do, we don't know what truth is, but I studied the Mormons. Okay? The thing is, if you know truth, I don't have to worry about the false. But I have to know it in its detail. Paul knew truth. The truth of God. Divine revelation. And when you step out of that realm and you start making judgments and saying what you don't know and you don't have divine revelation, you should be nervous. Listen, nobody should come to me and ask me what mutual funds to get a hold of. I don't even know what a mutual fund does. Okay, you know, I can tell you how to buy stocks if you'd have talked to me in 2008. The market collapsed, buy any of them. Okay, now they're all high again, I wouldn't touch them. But you know what? There's no divine revelation in that. I wouldn't listen to me anymore than a man in the moon. But if the person is standing in truth, he has divine revelation. He sees what divine truth does in a person's heart and to a person's life. And it changes them. He knows truth is working there. He can, without really jeopardizing anything, show his discernment. And his discernment says these people were touched by the word of God. When the truth of God comes, it either makes them mad and they hate you. Or it makes them want what you got. There's no gray area. When you step out of that realm of truth, you're in trouble. Paul understood that if he was wrong, who put his trust in his judgment, then what does he really know about truth? But he had seen truth work. And it's important to have confidence in those who are serving together. Do you have truth? And listen, I can look at this room right now, and if it came to eternal things, there's... Some of you in this room, I'll stand shoulder to shoulder. I don't give a... If it's Lucifer, I have confidence in you. You won't let me down. Okay? Now, there's some in this room. Well, maybe not. There are people out there that are like, let's go to war. I'm ready to rock and roll. And there's other people saying, yeah, go ahead. Okay? And you know these people. And when you know them, you know that you can have confidence in them. He speaks truth, Paul did, all the time. Even when he was boasting to Titus on your behalf, he was speaking truth. Remember 1 Corinthians? You are lacking in no spiritual gift. You're not missing anything. Well, God just don't roll out a bunch of gifts and hope some believer picks it up somewhere. The Holy Spirit in the believer gives to that believer what he needs for the edification of the saints. It's planned. When he boasted about the Corinthians and there would be a positive response to Titus, they proved him right. Okay? Which gives cross the board to the Corinthians and to Titus and those who are serving with the Apostle Paul. You know what? We can continue to trust in him. I speak truth when the word of God Therefore, there is spiritual discernment. See, when you speak truth, when you live in truth, when you absorb truth, when you are in, and I believe Jeff taught on this while I was gone, when you're in this book, you can have confidence in what you're doing. And I don't care if everyone around you fails. You can still have confidence in the truth. When you're in truth, you recognize the hand of God working. Do you understand that? That is so abstract today. We blame God for everything. Okay? 
And half the time, God's like, who are they talking about? The joy of seeing what his confidence was in and these people was upheld. It brought him joy. Paul's integrity is intact. Always speak the truth. He was speaking truth. He came to the Corinthians. He spoke truth to Titus about what the response would be. He was encouraged. This would encourage Paul. This would encourage Titus. This would encourage the Corinthians. You know what? This, let's be realistic. This was a mess. This was a mess. And Paul believed in them. Paul believed that there was believers there. God had worked in them people. He predicted their obedience. He predicted their repentance. Why? You're bringing truth to bear. What's really cool about this? It says there, we spoke all things to you in truth. There's truth. So that also our boasting before Titus proved to be truth. Okay. Now watch what is ha- what's what happened. Because Paul had told him that they would respond positively. It says his. Okay, now he's changed who he's talking about. This is Titus. His affections abound All the more toward you. He saw their response to what God was doing and it caused Titus to love them more. Did you hear what I said? It caused Titus to love them more. He predicted their obedience. When Titus saw it, he was, wow, I love these people. They read. Now, listen, they received Titus as a messenger from a messenger sent by Christ who was sent by God. Have you ever thought about that? When the messenger shows up and he brings truth, do you understand who's sent? If you reject his messenger, you reject him who sent the messenger. If they had rejected Titus, they're saying we reject Paul, which means we reject Christ, which means we reject God. I don't know very many people who look at a pastor or preacher that way. Now, listen, there's some doodahs out there. Okay, but it's like I said, you spend time in truth. You can say you don't have a clue. Okay, and I don't have no problem with that. But there are some that are out there who are laboring in the fields for no apparent reason to a whole bunch of people who are just flat out ungrateful and in their very actions, they're rejecting Christ who sent them that messenger. They received Titus as he should have been received. Linsky said, Titus was received in holy awe. Unquote. That's good. That's good. I remember a little lady in Russia one time had preached on the second coming of Christ and all of his glory when he rolls back heaven and he stands with all of his people, his saints. And the lady cried afterwards. She said she'd always wanted to hear that. And she came to me weeping. And I mean, this lady looked like, gee, she'd been around a while. (laughs) She comes up and she says, I'm very poor, fixed income. This is all I had. And she handed me a bag of eggs. She said, God sent you to make that clear to me. And she hands me a bag of eggs. Now, it's still in the shells. I mean, you're like, that's going in a carry-on. <laughs> okay, I took it back to Valerian. They made these really cool, uh, I call them Russian raviolis. <laughs> they look like a ravioli, but they weren't. She's told me that God had sent me. I don't understand that. The false are trying to discredit Paul. There's a lot at stake. Paul's discernment was sound. Titus rejoiced. Titus' love increased for the Corinthians. Affections abound, he says, all the more toward you as he remembered the obedience of you all. Their obedience to this severe letter brought great joy to Titus and it caused him to love them more. To use the Terry vernacular, it freaked him out. (laughs) Obedience is seen. 
They came back to the relationship and that caused an increase in Titus' love. See, listen, when there is true repentance, there will be a willingness to submit, to obey. Okay, they were submitting to the words of Paul or the words of God. You can know a person is repentant because they want to be obedient. That's why I said the saints obedience that is seen. When I am confronted with something, I repent. I change my direction. If I've done something wrong, yeah, change. This isn't rocket science. You can know a person is repentant. They want to do what you want done. Show me. Tell me. Give me guidance. When I got baptized, I didn't know nothing about the Bible. I asked the guy, what do I do now? He says, read the Gospel of John. I was like, John? Ain't that like in the middle? But I did. I read it several times because if I read it several times, well, I'll be right way ahead of everything. And then you know what? When they needed the building painted, when they needed electrical done, when they needed any of this stuff, oh, yeah, I'm in. There's no reluctance. There's no deal making. Open obedience. And when that is manifest, that is the highest joy of the saints. They received. Listen, you got to look at this. They received Titus. How? With fear and trembling. Think about it. This is a messenger from God. I should be paying attention. When do you see that? And yet, I take hope because if the Corinthians can understand it, perhaps the church in America at some point will come to understand it. They received him with fear and trembling. You know what? Fear and trembling, when you, re- you think about it, that's a reverence and awe. Okay? When you have a reverence and awe, you know what? You have obedience. Fear of the Lord is what? Beginning of salvation. Okay, I see a lot of people coming to the Lord. They ain't afraid of him. That scares me. Well, but he's gracious. You may want to look at all of that. He is gracious. Okay, but I've read the end of the book. If you're on the wrong side of that, that don't look gracious to me. You know, well, he was really mean God in the Old Testament. Like I said, you ain't read the end of the book. (laughs) Ground opening up, swallowing 20,000 Levites is a piece of cake when you wipe out a third of the population. That fear and reverence to God's messenger is a reverse of your course back to God through that messenger. Why? Because, I'm sorry, doesn't he have to give an account of your soul? Aren't you to be an imitator of those who have fleshed out Truth. See, these happen in broken relationships and it's repaired in godly relationships. Why? There'll be joy, change, holiness, growth, oneness, and obedience. Okay? Next week, you will see that all of these lead the saints complete. Cool. Father, to your glory and praise, thank you. Thank you that you have shown me that this church, that so many times I I, I think, what? uh, You healed it. You brought them back to the Apostle Paul, to the things of Christ, to the ways that you do it. Father, thank you. Father, each of us who sit here today, may we bring glory to you. May we be in oneness, in completeness, knowing that what you have given us is truly awe-inspiring. Father, those who teach us, Father, may we never, ever take them for granted. May we appreciate them. Father, may we understand that they are a precious gift sent to us by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To your praise and glory. Amen.